0: All right, good morning or afternoon. I don't know where everybody's coming from or uh, joining us today, but Brandon here at the National Minority Quality Forum. Apologize for the some noise in the background. I'm in this city, and so sometimes you can't avoid the city. Um, our very own, I call her our own MacArthur inter, in-house MacArthur MacArthur scholar fellow Gretchen Wortman will lead today's webinar on the state of mental health. And once you uh, hear her presenting to her colleagues on this call, you'll see why. So Gretchen, I'm turning it over to you.
1: Thank you, Brandon, and good afternoon. My name is Gretchen Wortman. I'm Vice President for Policy and Program of the National Minority Quality Forum. And in that role, I am Director of our Institute for Equity in Health Policy and Practice and Director of our National Alliance for Brain Health and Awareness. Today, in recognition of B.B. Moore Campbell National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, our policy briefing will focus on disparities in screening, diagnosis, and treatment of serious mental illness. Serious mental illness or SMI can generally be defined as mental, behavioral, or or emotional disorders resulting in serious functional impairment that substantially interferes with or limits major life activities. These diagnoses can include, but are not limited to, schizophrenia, major depressive disorder, and bipolar disorders. Various studies estimate that more than 14 million adults have SMI, with only slightly more than half receiving mental health treatment. In addition, studies indicate that people from racial and ethnic groups that are in the minority in the United States are especially vulnerable to overdiagnosis and negative outcomes regarding SMI. A meta-analysis by Mora and Mamani in 2017 highlighted different racial disparities that exist for people of color with SMI. To note a few, people from racial and ethnic groups that are in the minority in the United States, especially Black Americans, are more likely to receive a schizophrenia diagnosis than white Americans. Black Americans with SMI are more likely to be hospitalized than any other racial group. Further, people from racial and ethnic minoritized groups have lower utilization of outpatient treatment compared to white individuals, have treatment attrition rates that are much higher than those for people from racial and ethnic minority groups, and receive poor quality of care and less follow-up after diagnosis. We are so pleased the three notable panelists are joining us today to share their perspectives on real or perceived structural barriers or other hesitancies that may impede improvements in mental health services, research, delivery or finance. Dr. Rimal Bera is chairman of the Mental Health Working Group of the Alliance for Patient Access. He is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of California, Irvine, Department of Psychiatry, Psychiatry, excuse me. He serves as a medical director for universal care, behavioral health for California, and as medical director at the John Henry Foundation in Santa Santa Ana, which is a high level center for the treatment of schizophrenia. Ms. Pamela Price, is Deputy Director of the Ballman Gilead. Ms. Price is a Texas native with a passion for helping women and girls achieve everything they were created to be. For more than 20 years, she has worked with national and government agencies to develop and implement multifaceted programs to meet the societal and cultural needs of women and underserved communities. In addition to her role as Deputy Director for the Ballman Gilead, Ms. Price serves as the director for the National Brain Health Center for African-Americans. Our third panelist is Mr. Josue Guinard Carina. He is director of global neuropsychiatry at Biogen. During his six years at Biogen, he has worked across various therapeutic areas, including spinal muscular atrophy, neuromuscular disorders, and multiple sclerosis. Prior to his tenure at Biogen, he was a brand lead across several product lines at Procter and Gamble for 10 years. For our audience, throughout this briefing, please feel free to enter your questions into the Q&A box. The Q&A box, not the chat box. We will answer as many of your questions as possible during the Q&A session that follows completion of the opening remarks from all panelists. So our first presenter will be Dr. Barra. Dr. Barra, you have the floor.
2: Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, You know, I wanna first thank uh, Gretchen uh, and the National Minority Quality Forum for the opportunity to be part of this panel. Uh, what, What I did when I did receive this invitation about a month ago, the first thing I did was to learn more about uh, the mission of the National Minority Quality Forum. And uh, as I read through uh, all the work that uh, this uh, forum has done since its inception, uh, the collaboration, the the board, uh, the innovative people that are consultants, it fell in exactly with where my career has been the last 10 years. Healthcare policy and bringing all these various stakeholders together uh, has been what's really driven me in bringing innovation, better access uh, and health equity uh, with regard to mental health. Uh, I've been practicing for about 35 years as a psychiatrist uh, here in California, and the, the stigma and challenges uh, as a deliverer of mental health care have never been greater uh, for us to be able to move the bar of outcomes in a positive direction for every citizen in this country will really take all of us you know everyone that's on this webinar and all of our uh you know connections uh to move things forward and i'm optimistic i do think that things are moving forward so you know again uh, i'm very happy to now have developed a relationship with the National uh, Minority Quality Forum. Um, as uh, Gretchen mentioned, I've worked with Alliance uh, for Patient Access for the last two years. They just developed a mental health working group. Their mission is to decrease uh, any barriers between a provider of health care and the person who receives that. And especially in mental health, there's so many barriers uh, that have you know, existed. That we're trying to really minimize, uh, you know, when we want to uh, provide optimal uh, mental health care. Um, I'm also a cheerleader of, you know, these uh, ideas of what our webinar is uh, intended to share today. I think it's time, very much like uh, what John F. Kennedy said at, uh, in the 1960s, we have to have moonshot thinking. We can't just continue the status quo. We have to think outside the box as grand and big as possible. Uh, You know, I hope by the end of this decade, we are going to look back at 2020 and saying, wow, look where we've come with regard to mental health, access, technology, equity, that every citizen has a right to appropriate, proper and complete mental health care. Uh, I also think, uh, health care policy with regard to mental health is pretty straightforward uh, whenever we identify a problem let's say it's access uh, or a certain community not having abilities for that new treatment if we identify a solution and especially as we're talking to legislators and other decision makers uh, you know all of us in this uh, forum today are pretty skilled at talking to decision makers, I found that there's two items that really resonate that you can capture their ear, that you've got an idea and a possible solution, and the possibility that there could be economic savings if that is implemented. And if you have some data showing that, you often do have a receptive ear where that idea uh, may move forward. Now, Thinking beyond just the United States, uh, you know, many of you are you know probably have some relationships with like the World Health Organization. Uh, if you looked at their 2020 report, every year uh or every decade, they have a, 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 a national report of what their agenda is. And for the decade of 2020 to 2030, They envision that by 2030, we have a world where mental health is valued, promoted, and protected, where mental health conditions, you know, can be prevented, where everyone can exercise their human rights and access affordable, quality mental health care, where everyone can participate fully in a society free from stigma and discrimination. So it's not just us here in the United States but this is a worldwide initiative. We recognize that good mental health is the foundation for economic prosperity, social mobility. You know this really in my mind this is a human right that we we must help people uh, achieve as best a mental health that they can have, that they uh, that they can obtain. So those are some thoughts just as a background. Uh, So, you know, specifically with regard to health equity here in the United States, we're getting closer to this, but I don't think we quite achieved it, that we have to think of mental health equity as a priority. And here are some thoughts uh, that are somewhat innovative that I think can really, you know, push Us faster in the direction of health equity in mental health here in the United States. Whenever and and let and I'll give one example, but I'll share the concept as a whole. Uh, You know, whenever a new medication comes forward, whenever a new technology comes forward, whenever there's a new you know legislative bill coming forward with regard to mental health i think for us to fast track it toward health equity as and i'll give as you know i'm i'm a psychiatrist i work at a university we do a lot of drug development i think it's critical as the drug is being developed often in conjunction with pharmaceutical industry at this when the design of that study is taken place we should ask the question how will this new medication this new technology this bill if it gets approved get us closer to health equity i think we've got to ask the question at the beginning not further down when that medication is approved that technology is approved that bill has been passed it's got to be asked early we the people developing that technology have to be thinking in that ways at the beginning Uh, and the example i have is something that just was approved three weeks ago and let me if the FDA and this is about autism which in certain racial ethnic groups is very hard to access good care so a company Linus Biotechnology just two weeks ago was granted an FDA breakthrough device designation for just analyzing one hair strand You had a high specificity sensitivity that this child may have autism. So I asked one of my child psychiatrists, are you familiar with this? They said, absolutely. Uh, Now children at six months, one year can have access. So I asked, could you look at this study? Who are the people in the trial? They had 280 kids in their trial and 195 were Caucasian kids. 69 were asian only 13 hispanic and nine african-american so if the fda had asked that question at the beginning we want you as you develop this to think of health equity so this is a simple example of a if that had been asked i can guarantee you they would have had a different cohort enter the next question is how will individuals who have trouble with you know, accessing care, you know, even achieve, you know, this simple hair strand. So I I think that's going to be a critical piece that, uh, you know, this group here and certainly the National Minority Quality Forum, you know, can really push legislators. That's got to be a question at the the very beginning. It's got to be a a priority uh, when drug trials are designed, when a new digital technology comes forward. And then just you know a, a, a few final you know uh, words uh, really as a cheerleader uh, for all of us you know this webinar is titled uh, innovation access and equity we all know probably through our personal experiences when we see our healthcare provider that digital technology is going to drive the future of healthcare uh, so. You know, we must insist that all new technologies that come forward don't further automate a racism and bias. There already is a growing divide as this new technologies come forward. The people that have access and the people that don't, and that certainly was reflected, you know, uh, through the uh, the current pandemic uh, that's that's occurred. So, you know, I to me, I, I feel digital access you know to good digital health almost should be a basic right uh you know like electricity like heat you know access because that is how people are going to be connected to their healthcare provider that's how they're going to care for themselves their families their community through some sort source of digital health so you know uh so all new models must ask that question you know how is this system going to address uh, internet access, cellular coverage, person's comfort with digital tools. Uh, I like to, again, think outside the box. I think this should be a Medicare uh, beneficiary, uh, that Medicare should in some ways look at low cost or free technology to every citizen in the United States. and. Uh, you know, I recently uh, heard from a a leading healthcare policy person here in the United States who said, if everybody had a smartphone in the United States, you that may be the most important piece for healthcare equity and improving the overall health of our country. So I think we're going in that direction, but we, as you know, critical stakeholders, you know, can really be the driving force.
1: Thank you, so Doctor. Those are some
2: thoughts. Thanks.
1: Thank you. I now have five to 10 follow up questions for you, but I'm going to turn to <laughs> Ms. price first and uh, love to hear your remarks
3: yes uh first of all yes definitely so much wonderful information uh that dr Bear just really kind of kicked us off and i think has us all kind of primed and thinking about uh and want to yes definitely thank you gretchen and your entire team there with the national minority quality forum for um you know putting this together your your work in general as it relates to equity issues right because i think that's where we should have always been focused on equity obviously i think coming. In to COVID, out of COVID, definitely there's been more emphasis on that. I still don't know if we fully 100% haven't agreed upon of what equity really is. Like in the context of health, I think it's one thing. But for, for me, um, and outside of just the things I do professionally, I am a proud Black woman who lives with bipolar disorder uh, type 1 um, with psychotic features. Um, I'm also a three-time suicide survivor. Um, I have a son who we're also navigating our mental health landscape with as well, Um, so you know this is a conversation that is so needed and so important and then definitely when we consider well what are what are our challenges when we think about equity I think one of those is is that we've taken similar to have we done with other things is this siloed approach to equity so if we want to do health equity we focus on things that are very health specific but really, if we're thinking about how to drive this needle and how to change the narrative and how to really have the impact that we need, really start to think about what are the real, um, you know, ROIs when we think about why we need to invest in equity. It it goes well beyond what happens inside our existing healthcare systems and structures, um, especially I think under the, the the umbrella of of mental health. And I think when I when I say that, what I mean is thinking to Dr. Bear's point we have to start asking what are the outcomes, right? So beyond wanting to get individuals connected or access or using certain therapeutics or using new technologies or devices, but really thinking if we know a barrier to that is going to be poverty and or lack of education, are we building in systems in which will help address and or shore up some of those gaps? Because if we don't, then we can, again, I think the, and I did, I saw the, the, the re- new research and the, and the new opportunities in the autism space, but that would, those are my initial questions. How much is this going to cost? Who was in the study? I kind of assumed it was not going to be a diverse mix um, just based on history. Um, But those are the questions that again we should be asking ahead of time, because now we are building again I think in a more equitable fashion. Um, If we think about in the mental health context, uh, we know in in recent months that we've had multiple um, instances where specifically individuals of color who are suffering. Um, from serious mental illnesses, Gretchen kind of highlighted, um, who are not getting the care that they needed, not uh, being connected to the services, not having the supports that they need, that are then either subjected to our criminal justice system which has its own issues when it is looking at equity. and Then we're also looking unfortunately at a society where the understanding around serious mental illness is just not where it needs to be and we are putting those who are uh, living with serious mental illness, like myself, in harm's way if we are in the midst of a crisis and not knowing who to call, not feeling safe if we call this person, that the outcome will result in us getting care and services. And I think all of that is something that is an inequitable um, part of our existing infrastructures when we think about care and definitely when we think about mental health services. And I think it will require. Um, more innovation, more outside-the-box thinking, like Dr. Barra said. We know that the digital divide has only gotten worse, even with so much shifting uh, to digital spaces because of COVID. We still know that broadband does not exist, period, in many pockets um, across this country. We know that when it does exist, same thing. Those families and houses and communities who need it don't have quality broadband. That's not only impacting your ability to ask, access healthcare services and utilize healthcare services that have you know, moved into these digital uh, spaces, but it also limits our ability in terms on an economic side. We know that upwards of 92% of jobs today require some at least one digital skill that a lot of our communities don't have. We also have data that supports that if we can give these communities one digital skill, We can significantly raise the hourly rate that they make so now we're talking about economic changes that we can see in these uh, communities by again tackling that one issue but we're then being able to I think have greater impact and address multi. um, You know factors that are really I think driving some of the issues and challenges we see, and I think our mental health. um, infrastructures are are in that same. situation where we really got to think about um, some more multi-layered, multi-sectoral types of approaches to addressing the challenges that we have.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Price. Mr. Gina Carino.
0: Thank you, Gretchen. Um, and I just wanted to say I'm honored to be part of this panel today um, and happy to be joined by everyone on the call. Um, so as Gretchen mentioned, I work at Biogen, uh, working as part of the neuropsychiatry team. Uh, and for those that are not familiar with Biogen, Biogen is a leading global biotechnology company, uh, and we've pioneered uh, breakthrough innovations across multiple disease areas, such as multiple sclerosis, spinal muscular atrophy, and Alzheimer's disease. And um, you know, one of the things that is in common with all these diseases is that there you know there's been an incredible unmet need in all of these. Uh, and they're very challenging diseases to address. And I think that's why uh, we're also very interested in mental health, uh, because there's a huge unmet need uh, that I think the other panelists have uh, started to talk about. Um, and even when we just think about, um, you know, depression, the the impact that depression can have on someone's, um, you know, day to day functions is is enormous. So you know, there's incredible unmet need, and this unmet needs recognized at the societal level. Um, you know, going back to the Surgeon General's first ever report on mental health in the year 2000, when, um, we started talking about mental health and different, uh, communities and what kind of impact, uh, it could have and what treatments are appropriate. And when we think about it, that's, that's not that long ago. That's just a little over 20 years ago. So, um, you know, mental health, I think is, is still evolving in, in the way that we're talking about it. Um, and as Dr. Behr mentioned earlier, it's only getting. know in some in some areas it's only getting worse right i think even in 2023 the most recent warnings from the surgeon general was around um the impact of social media on on adolescents and the impact that could have uh and the impact on loneliness on society on mental health so i think society as a whole is more and more attuned to mental health as as an issue um and when we think about just depression on its own, um, around 30% of Americans are going to receive a diagnosis of depression in their lifetime. That's one out of every three people on this webinar, one out of every three people that you meet, that's a, that's an astounding number. So the chances that, you know, that all of us either have been affected by depression or know someone who's been affected by depression or another mental health uh, illness is quite high. Um, and this, is, this has only been increasing over the last 10 years so you know uh, we kind of see this need and we recognize this need and there's an interest in doing something about it and there are many vulnerable populations within this broader community that that also has tremendous needs that have to be addressed think about moms right so about one out of every eight mothers um with with a live birth will experience symptoms of postpartum depression that's around half a million people annually that's that's huge and the reason I call this a vulnerable population is because postpartum depression doesn't just affect the mother, but it affects the child and the family. So um, a, a huge amount need there, you know, when we think about severe mental illness, um, you know, around 50,000 people in the U.S. Uh, take their lives each year. Um, and this is at the, the most severe end of the spectrum. Uh, and these rates have been climbing in the U.S., even though globally they've been shrinking uh, and I think that's especially prevalent in like younger communities. And lastly, you know, my, minority or minoritized communities are disproportionately affected by depression. And I think that's why we're all here to to kind of address address that unmet need and what we can do about it. So, you know, depression affects everyone. And even if you're not the one suffering from depression or a mental health il- illness, you know, the the economic burden which I think, again, going back to Dr. Barrett's point, like what, what do some policymakers care a lot about? Like, what's like the burden, the financial burden on society? Just in 2018, it was estimated that it was around 300 billion uh, just for just for depression. So, you know, this is enormous. If we can all do what we can to solve this, solve these issues, and so we believe there's room for innovation here. There's been innovation on the technology front with apps and with the rise of telehealth. Uh, especially during during the this this period of of the pandemic, um, there's increased awareness uh, that's more broadly covered, and you know how can drug innovation catch up? There's been little innovation in the past twenty years. I think things are starting to to change in this space, um, until we recognize that you know in drug development there's also an opportunity to innovate and bring uh, better therapies to patients. So uh, um, with that being said, thank you again for the opportunity to be here, and looking forward to continue this dialogue.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, As we enter the Q&A phase of this. um, uh, Webinar, I will first say thank my thanks to the three of you for such a thorough uh, and um, thought provoking uh, presentations as a result. Therefore, you have answered the first questions I was going to ask you. But I noted that across your three uh, presentations even though you're entering this conversation through a different lens you all mentioned economic factors in some way economic access financial challenges so i will i'll, I'll start this first question which i'm actually going to open to all th- three of you um, the national minority quality forums mission is to reduce patient risk and to ass- and, to help assure that the system assigns priority to to the reduction of patient risk over the mitigation of financial risk to the system. And that's not saying that we don't recognize that financial issues uh, affect every aspect or economic issues affect every aspect of um, the care continuum, research, delivery, and finance. But given the challenges you've presented. um, How do you see a way forward in terms of using public policy? to eliminate that structural barrier through your particular lens and the environments within which you function so that we can truly assign priority to patient risk for those with uh, mental health issues, particularly uh, severe mental illness. I'll start with Mr. Gennard Carreño. You're on mute.
0: My gosh, we just overcame this big hurdle of getting hit (laughs) on Zoom, and now I can't take myself (laughs) off of mute.
1: That's okay.
0: Back to basics, back to basics. Um, Thank you, Gretchen, for the question. And, and yeah I think affordability is a you know is a is an issue in, in access to to therapy um and you know in a recent survey around 40 percent of patients um, you know called out affordability as one of the reasons for not using mental health services so I think it it is it is an issue to address um and I think you know what we're trying to what we're trying to to solve for is how do patients get access to the the right therapy for them, the right therapy that's going to address, you know, their their unique issues according to their providers, and in a way that kind of addresses the, you know, whether it's depression or another mental health illness urgently, uh, because we know that the longer that these illnesses last, um, the greater the impact on on that patient and and society. Uh, and this is, I think, just one of the factors, you know, when we think about some of these barriers. I think stigma is another big big barrier, access to providers and the and the lack of providers. It's uh, specifically in mental health, especially in rural communities. I think is another big issue, but you know, I think I think ensuring that patients have access to to that optimal treatment, I think, is critical.
1: I've got a muting issue, Dr. Barra.
2: Yeah, no, that that that's a great question, and and I, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, all of us did share sort of like economic prosperity and uh you know uh social mobility there's an economic bit. you know I, I think that our answers will not just be from the the public sector uh from our legislators but there'll be a a, a public-private partnership that I that will lead to uh, better access uh support of innovation I do believe that we are seeing a, a narrative change uh, in the private sector and more value of good mental health uh, for their workforce. Uh, you know, I've heard from many you know business leaders uh, throughout the United States that they want their employees to have access to mental health. Uh, part of that, you know, many of them I'm sure are doing it you know, for more uh, profitability, you know, in, the, but they're valuing if mental health is well at the workspace, and we have the ability to support that, it'll extend to when they go home to their families, their communities, and so forth. And, you know, one thing, uh, uh, Josie, that you just said, uh, you know, the World Economic uh, Forum, which is that where all the leaders of the whole world meet in Switzerland. Uh, I but their theme this past January was the state of the world's well being, and that's going to lead to continued economic prosperity. So the fact that here are the the most powerful economic people in the world, you know, believing well being is the driving force. Uh, so I I think as ideas come forward from uh, groups. Uh, like our group today and our the people on w- working with the private sector and continuing to support them in well-being mental health initiatives will be important. uh they may be looking at at it for profitability for their product or their business uh which you know they're uh, m- maybe but i think that expands toward just a, a, a good work you know uh you know, a working force. So, you know, those were some thoughts that that come to mind. Um, You're working with the private sector in this initiative, not just leaving it to Capitol Hill or state government uh, or all of these great uh, support groups. Let's let's bring in the private sector.
1: That's an interesting frame for that. The um, uh, Miss Price. Same
3: questions. Yes. So I definitely agree that the the solutions when we think about this will have to be um, again multi sectoral, it will have to be both public, it'll have to be private, it will also have to be community right and I think it should be community led with with public and private um, stakeholders, you know, all at the table, I think, all with skin in the game, so to speak. Um, And even if we do think about both local, state and even some of our federal policies that if we're looking, okay, well, how do we shore up some of these economic challenges? There's just been continued and decades long debates around what is an affordable wage for people to make and earn. Right. So can we start to get clear and actually start to pass legislation that is not branded as something that is socialist versus no this is something that is economically um uh, sustainable and that is also eco- economically beneficial to our communities and to these communities who for decades have been living below the federal repop- poverty line right that is going to continue to put those and keep those communities at a deficit period um across especially across you know health because the cost of healthcare continues to rise but the wages aren't in line with the rising of the cost of, of just living nor the wages that individuals are earning so i think that is a space that legislation could play a big role uh in us being able to shore up some of that gap i think if we think about legislation that um you know we we saw where we um, I think because of COVID and the infrastructure funding that was within that, there were one-time benefits that a lot of you know minoritized communities were able to access and you could offset childcare cost. Um by, by that, but we didn't continue those, right? So, there it's always we kind of do just one offs um, of things. And I think to Dr. Bear's point, like we've got to do better about paint of, of, of illustrating why this is important. I think of illustrating that there is an again, an economic advantage. I think for all parties involved, when we can say for the next five years, for the next uh, 10 years, let's shift funding because even looking at, at budgets, right, we're still continuing to put billions of federal dollars into some research a uh, 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 funding, which we still need research, but do we still need research at a $3 billion level if that means that we now have uh, reduced funding when it comes to direct service programs, when we've reduced funding that supports advocacy work, when we've reduced funding uh, to help offset uh, uh, healthcare costs, right? So I think it's it's some balancing too in terms of our budget at local, state, and federal levels and where we are investing um, those dollars. Uh, and is that equitable so that we can then have equitable outcomes and so i'd love to see i think policy can help um, along those fronts and then i think also um, policies that get to um, addressing where we are in some of the the workforce components as well Um, so how do we because there are perhaps that's a way, again, to address some of the economic challenges by being able to create programs, especially in this mental health space that maybe only require a two-year degree versus a four-year degree. Can we create programs similar to some of our community healthcare worker models that we've seen that can be replicated in mental health spaces but then can we have policy back it up to where those services that may be performed by lay and or community educated individuals can we have it to where um there there's um reimbursement um from from cms or reimbursement from our private insurers for those services because i the, the gap is just too wide <laughs> in terms of what our workforce looks like from a diversity standpoint um and then also of saying to meet the need. The need is so high. If it's taking four years to get just an undergraduate degree, but then to actually become a full-fledged counselor or therapist or psychologist, there's many more years. Think of how many people, um, as Dr. Carrillo just said, that we've lost to suicide. Uh, In that span of time, how many individuals who have been misdiagnosed, how many more minority communities have been labeled with schizophrenia when that may not even be the accurate diagnosis, while we're waiting to for individuals to get through school. So I think that could also be a space where we could both tackle some of the workforce issues. That then if we're kind of plucking from these minoritized communities to put them in two year programs or develop some type of community health educator model that then can allow for reimbursement. So now health health systems and clinics and federally qualified health centers can now pay these individuals a living wage coming straight from these communities to then come and serve and maybe become placeholders while we can get people to the psychiatrist and get people to uh, the therapists who are most uh, are waitlisted <laughs> right now. So I, th- those were my, I think, just initial thoughts on on some of the economic challenges and perhaps how policy can help, sh- you know, change some of that.
1: Okay, thank you. And uh, we've sort of moving into the final phase of this Q and A. And if you don't mind, I'm going to trigger your uh, link. This last question also to giving you an opportunity, you three, an opportunity to make a final statement and it's going to be a compound complex question so <laughs> bear with me uh, Mr. Greenart Carreño made the statement that 30 percent of Americans it's estimated I assume are um, experienced depression and I, I, I'm assuming it I don't know if in your uh, the statement that depression falls within the category of uh, serious mental illness or th- the different levels of depression 30 percent is a lot of people okay i'm going to assume therefore miss price that that includes people who are in the middle class as well as those who are below the poverty level uh the uh and um uh, dr barra uh brought the issue, introduced the issue of um, technology, uh, digital technology into the care paradigm. So my question for the three of you uh, is, given that I think there's consensus here and probably in separate conversations uh, um, as we go about our daily business, that we've got a mental health crisis in this country that has become visible. I'm going going to assume that it was always there. Now, the the pandemic triggered visibility for uh, all population cohorts, but what we're looking at is a seriously understudied and undervalued aspect of healthcare. Uh, And a... Concern I have is that because of the way we tend to describe inequities in this country, we tend to default to the affected populations as those who have financial challenges, educational challenges, other uh, social economic challenges. I'm going to say, from my personal experience as well as as Miss as, uh, Price's. I'm going to say that's not true. So I guess a third part of this is that, or my question is, do we have the data? Because the case that Dr. made was that when you're talking to folks on the Hill, whatever Hill you approach, whether it's in Washington or in a state, it's very, you can make a compelling clinical case for your issue, but what you said was, we also have to give them the uh, make the case that there's the potential for economic savings. I submit to you that we need to make a a solid case for the economic savings, because that's where they're making their decision. But we also need to link broadening the market, broadening access Uh, through the policy lens, through the clinical lens, to that more um, beneficial economic model rather than somehow looking for ways to minimize access. If Dr. Puckham were here, he would say ration access to mental health services in a way that assigns priorities to those rationed populations by keeping them out of the system rather than bringing them in. I don't know if that's a question or not, or just a statement, but I'm going to ask uh Dr. Barra to respond to whatever aspect of that first, uh, then Mr. Greenart Careno and then Ms. Price. And you've got eight minutes to do that across the three of you. I can't hear you. you're on mute. There you go.
2: No. Uh, Gretchen, yeah, you you really summarize a lot of different uh, parts uh, in what you just conveyed. Uh, one thing that uh, I heard early in your summary, uh, you're you're absolutely right. Um, even it, uh, communities that traditionally we maybe considered don't have the same health equity. Uh, I wouldn't want to. You know compartmentalize and saying access to improved mental health, decreasing stigma, providing resources can still not be achievable. Uh, We can still be very creative uh, in ideas to help communities that have had uh, difficulties, challenges in receiving care uh receiving you know maybe as uh, Pamela mentioned uh, workforce issues Uh, we have the capability today to help those communities with what you know uh, current tools we have uh so but I do think as I said earlier we have to bring that concept to the forefront uh at every discussion of mental health uh whenever we're talking in schools about uh, example that came to mind, uh, screening all kids K through 12, you know, that can be done in every community, you know, through, uh, through the United States. It's not being done. It's being done in, you know, maybe certain pockets of school districts that put some maybe resources or assign somebody there. That should be, you know, across the country. All children should be screened. I mean, that's something that we don't have to put more resources in but for some reason, some communities are, you know, are are left out in in some of these discussions. Uh, College campuses, uh, you know, we should provide, you know, faster training, uh, you know, quicker, maybe licensure, uh, and support for people to work in uh, maybe underserved areas. Uh, we, We will never have enough uh, mental health providers in the United States for that 30%, uh, you know, access to psychiatric nurse practitioners, psychiatrists, social workers. We have to support our frontline, uh, that's including teachers, uh, and college professors, uh, the primary care workforce, physician assistants, provide them more training in identifying, evaluating, and treating, because that's really where mental health care has taken place. Certainly for a, a condition like depression, uh, and I think that's where we can then maybe tie in the economic piece. You know, the you know disability and missed days at work, students dropping out of school. Uh, it, when you look at all that, depression is is a big piece of of why that happens. So th- those are some things that came to mind. We have. Right now, the, the resources to to do little tweaks in our approach to mental health, and I think we should take full advantage of that. Uh, it It's not new, necessarily new legislation or more monies for a program. We can just readjust our focus, and I, I think we'll have tremendous uh, you know, uh, impact uh, on mental health, uh, certainly in communities that have had some challenges uh, in accessing that.
1: We have two minutes left. I'm going to split it between Mr. Greenock-Carrano and Ms. Price. And before you start answering, I'm going to ask Ashley to put her email address into the chat box so that all who are with us can uh, forward any additional questions to us uh, or um, uh, any clarifications. requesting any clarifications. Mr. Greenock-Carrano. That's forty-five good. seconds to
0: you. Cool. All right. So I will I will build off of something Dr. Barris said around uh, kind of like the economic impact of um, you know, at the individual level, at the family level. So if you have depression and you are your your daily function is affected, let's say you you lose your job, let's say you can't there's potential that you can't help your family as you normally would and need to Pay for additional services. There's huge economic impact at the at the personal level, and I think whatever we can do to address that issue, uh, that depression, as fast as possible, whether it's through um, therapy or access to therapy or just getting that patient diagnosed quickly, I think is is critical. So I think, you know, I guess my my parting my parting thought, inspired from what you said, Gretchen, when Dr. Bear remarked, is like the urgency of treatment. I think is is critical to the space. And as you mentioned, not all the barriers are financial. Some of the barriers are very much cultural. For example, um, you know, stigma-based. I think there there's been some data showing that um, Hispanic and Black patients are less likely to seek treatment. So things like screening, um, I think, broad screening, I think, can help address some of those issues too. Um, and continuing to have conversations like this to continue to destigmatize mental health. Um, so I think all of that is critical.
1: Thank you. you. Ms. Price, I think 30 seconds to you
3: got you so I definitely will condense because i definitely just want to ditto of what dr Bear and dr carino just said both of you mentioned screening and i think that's important but we've got to reimagine where the screening is occurring because it can't just happen inside our current health infrastructure because that's not where these minoritized communities are coming to so that's one i think the cultural piece that you just mentioned is extremely significant both from a community level where there's stigma but also from the provider in our healthcare system we've got to also show Shift and shore up their cultural proficiency to be able to adequately care for individuals uh, from these minoritized communities who are living with uh, and or potentially suffering from a serious mental illness. So that would be two. And then three, I think again, mental health uh, is is a, a, a cut through across every facet of our, our our being, to be quite specific. So if, if we, we can't work, can't hold employment, we can't engage uh, from policy perspective, we can't engage in our communities. Um, if the mental health and I think yes, that should be our foundation that should be the common thread. And that also cuts across those social economic factors to gretchen point that i think we get stuck on but when we think about mental health it is impacting across the board irrespective of educational backgrounds and or your social economic backgrounds so i think mental health is a great place to start to address some of the the challenges that we're having
1: thank you and thanks to our audience for joining us and bearing with us during our technical difficulties I will say the National Alliance for Brain Health and Awareness is going to continue to look at our options for creating structured programming around the issues that have surfaced during this webinar. Uh, Goodbye and everyone have a good afternoon.